Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Okay, so we started again. And today, if it could go wrong, it did. You know how you have these days where you do exactly the same thing, everything's plugged in exactly the same way. You use the same modem, you go to the same site, and nothing works. Well, that's what's happening today. So I unplugged my microphone, and that shot me right off Facebook. I didn't like that. So now the question is, can you hear me as you normally hear me? Are we back to normal? Perfect now. Okay. Okay. So we're going to begin reading some amazing pastimes. And... um, this is, if Nadia, you're here, then this is beginning, page 95, the sentence starts, the gopis tell Sri Krishna, Sri Krishna's mother. So, uh, we're talking about the flute, we were talking about other things, we had another discussion at the end, about some other philosophical ideas, but the last thing we left off was, we were talking about Krishna's flute. So here's a little information. The gopis tell Sri Krishna's mother, Dear Jashoda, when your son plays on his flute, the great demigods like Lord Shiva, Lord Brahma, and King Indra, who are universal controllers and the most thoughtful of all scholars, become completely bewildered Although they are very great personalities, by hearing the sound of your son's flute, they become very grave and trying to understand the nature of its vibration. They become very grave, trying to understand the nature of its vibration. When, having studied it for a long time, they continue to remain baffled. They have no other recourse than to fold their hands and bow down, admitting their defeat. So, who can imagine, who can imagine the sound of Krishna's flute? We can't really imagine it, but we can learn about it, that's for sure. And that's what we're doing. So, we'll learn something about the flute, and we can try to imagine the experience of that. Uh, basically, they're, Bewildered by ecstasy. It's, it's sometimes I explain, it's like if you see something that's so beautiful, it's so amazing, it will make you cry. Like a, there's a beautiful singer or beautiful actor or actress or beautiful painting. Some, some great work of beauty will sometimes make you cry. <clears throat> Even the flute playing of someone in this world. So, Imagine Krishna's flute playing. It's just, it's the embodiment of the ecstatic potency. It's indescribable. Mm-hmm. Prior to the birth of Sri Krishna, so this is where did Krishna's flute come from? And actually, I'm, I'm going to wait on this because I have this discussion in more depth coming up later. 
So we're going to read something about Yoga Maya in Krishna's Leela of birth. After the pastime of Lord Vasudeva's birth, by the arrangement of Yoga Maya, the chains binding Vasudeva miraculously opened, and the prison guards of Kangsa fell asleep. While a great storm raged, Vasudeva, following, following the order of Lord Vishnu, took his son across the Jamuna to Gokul. In the house of Nanda Maharaj, everyone was asleep, unaware that Mother Yashoda had given birth to twins. The girl was Yoga Maya, the Lord's pastime potency, and the boy was Sri Krishna, the original personality of Godhead. Under the influence of the Lord's mystic potency, Vasudeva saw only the daughter of Yashoda. <clears throat> It's said that when Vasudeva bought Krishna, Krishna in this feature, which was a different feature than Krishna in Vrindavan, this feature of Krishna, who was born in Mathura, merged in the body of Krishna, who was born of Madhyasoda, the twin brother of Yogamaya, Shubhadra. But by the arrangement of Yogamaya, Vasudeva didn't see anyone else. He just thought he was putting Krishna down. Placing his son beside Jashoda, he took her daughter, unaware that his son had entered into the son of Jashoda, the origin of all incarnations. So sometimes it works that way because Krishna is the origin of all incarnations. That Sometimes the incarnations merge back into the original form from which they've come for the necessity of the lila or the function of whatever function Krishna is performing. In this way, there is one Sri Krishna, although he is known as the son of two mothers. This is the understanding of Sri Krishna's birth and his parental ties. In addition to the mystery of his birth, Srila Prabhupada points to another mystery in the parental affection of Devaki and Yashoda. Devaki understood that Sri Krishna was the supreme Vishnu, and consequently her dealings with him were mixed with awe and reverence. This is called Jnana Mai Bhakti, or devotion imbued with knowledge of Sri Krishna's divinity. So we want Jnana Mishra, we don't want... Um, we want jnana shunya bhakti. This is called jnana mishra bhakti. Or jnana mai, full of, uh, full of knowledge. So we want bhakti without knowing Krishna's supreme position because that love is more intense. On the other hand, Mother Jishoda accepted Sri Krishna as her beloved son and was oblivious to his godhood. Even when Sri Krishna performed Superhuman acts. She considered him only a wonderful child. Her affection was so intense that any glimpse of Sri Krishna's omnipotence became submerged in its depths. In other words, it, it's just, if there was a glimpse, it would go away. This sentiment of unqualified love is characteristic in all the inhabitants of Vrindavan and is not to be found anywhere else. It is the original form of devotion and the highest stage of attainment, known as Kevala Bhakti. So, Mahaprabhu in 
coming to teach pure devotional service focused on the residence of Vrindavan. And Bhagavatam says there no you can't conceive of greater devotion than the Brajabadus. Their devotion is 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 the pinnacle. So Mahaprabhu focused on that. He taught that. This was his mission to teach pure love. And it for us, because we're <coughs> worshiping Krishna now in the form of the deity as Lakshmi Narayan and on reverence, it it takes some adaptation and adjustment because we may not be qualified to relate to Krishna any other way than in on reverence. But the goal is to relate to Krishna as the Brajabhasis relate. And so how do we do that? Well, first we understand how they how they do it. And then at some point there may be uh, a desire to understand the love they're feeling and enter into a certain relationship. Hmm. I don't know if this is another section, another idea. We will find out. I think it is. <clears throat> Sri Krishna moved along with his friends, singing and playing his flute, waiting by every tree, happily absorbed in play, and then moving on again. The autumn forest, eager to serve Sri Krishna, adopted the form of his maidservant. She possessed possessed restless kanjana, bird-like eyes, a lotus face, bee-like locks, a white cloud dress, red lotus lips, cooling crane ankle bells, and blue lotus earrings. The autumn was further decorated by the red kunja beads, multicolored peacock feathers, and a carpet of white kesha flowers. The thirsty bees who always drank nectar caused the sepali flowers to fall as a punshpanjali offering to Govinda offering of flowers. So this is, sometimes you may have heard the, about the atmosphere of Vrindavan. It's a romantic atmosphere and that Krishna can only enjoy conjugal love in the atmosphere of Vrindavan. So the whole atmosphere is supporting it. And once the gopis went to Kurukshetra to meet Krishna and they asked if he would come back to Vrindavan because they said that only there can we enjoy our libas. So the the forest of Vrindavan and everything we read, the birds, the flowers, and so forth, the cranes, the swans, everything is it's creating the right atmosphere to um, enhance conjugal love. Krishna played ball and wrestled with his friends who knew no one else than him as the object of their love. Challenged by Sri Dhamma to fight, Krishna said, Are, Are means, hey brother, Sri Dhamman. Or like Krishna said, Hey Sri Dhamma, think well before you challenge me. Do you not remember our last fight? when I almost crushed you with my bolt-like arms. If you desire your own welfare, immediately withdraw your challenge and seek someone more your rank. Sri Dhamma, dressed in a yellow dhoni. I'm just putting this in so you you get a better idea of what goes on every day up there. I mean, just in case you have second thoughts about going. 
No, let's see. So there won't be any surprises when you get there. Sridham, Sridhama, Sridhama, dressed in a yellow dhoti and reddish turban with a buffalo horn in his hand, said, Shridhamma, who is world famous for his strength, has been victorious, is victorious, and will remain victorious. Do you not remember how you were recently obliged to carry me on your shoulders? At that time, you were soundly thrashed in fighting. Still, you continued to diminish, to diminish your own glory by showing your pride in the assembly of these noble youths. If you want to brag about the host of demons who died in Braja, think again. You have no reason to be proud of killing them. You didn't enter Agasura's belly alone, so why take the credit? As for Putana, she was killed by the mantras of the Brahmins. And if you want to raise the incident of Govardhan Hill again, I say, being pleased with our puja, it went up in the air by itself. Now, why be so proud? I know that once my sister defeated you in wrestling, so what kind of great man are you? After this, all the coward boys began to laugh uproariously. They jumped up and down, slapped their thighs, and poked each other, taunting their beloved Krishna. Balaram made peace among the boys, and, seeing they were hungry, he brought them to the bank of the Manasi Ganga. He then made both cows and coward boys drink its cool waters, sparkling like crystal with a taste like nectar. The boys bathed and played, splashing each other, imitating frogs, swimming after fish, and scaring the water birds. I just thought I would include this for uh, rasa value, so you can relish. You know, Lochan Das Thakur said, he wrote a song about Vrindavan Leela, and he said, at the end of the song, he said, you know, even in this miserable world, if you listen to these leelas, you will be happy. You will be blissful. Even in this miserable, miserable material world. Mm. Danishta then arrived with her maidservants. And sometimes the gopis show up. Where Krishna is with his cowherd boyfriends, carrying many preparations sent by Mother Jashoda. Coming on shore, Sri Krishna, surrounded by his friends, they were in the Manasi Ganga, so coming on shore, surrounded by his friends, sat in a large circle. And he made them eat many preparations cooked in ghee, tasty savories, nectarine, mangoes, and sweetened condensed milk with yogurt. When they had eaten beyond their capacity, Sri Krishna and the Gopas lay beneath the boughs of a great banyan tree. While Shubala massaged his legs, other boys rubbed Sri Krishna's stomach with affection, saying, Saka, your dancing earlier was superb. We have never seen anything like that. The bees and the drones hummed gently, lulling Sri Krishna to sleep. In this way he rested. So, um, this is also interesting. Many interesting things, but um, one thing that's interesting is that he rested. 
say, wait a minute, I thought in the spiritual world everything's eternal, you don't have a material body, and material bodies need to sleep, but spiritual bodies are energized eternally. So why is Krishna sleeping? Only because it enhances the pastime. So that's like a leela for him to sleep, to rest, and all the boys massage him. And So when we see these things in the spiritual world that resemble activities of this world, it's only being done not because, not by force, but because it helps. It helps in the, in the churning the nectar of the leela. That's the understanding. So we now have another story. I, I was just searching through the actions of Yogamaya, and there would be a statement that would be housed within the context of a long story. And then I thought, these stories are so nice, I can't deprive you of them. So not <coughs> everything we're reading now has specific relation to Yogamaya. Another Leela. With the purpose of collecting flowers for the worship of the sun, Sri Radhika and her Sakis visited the gardens of Kusham Sharovara. That time, accompanied by a great cloud of dust, Sri Krishna, along with the gopas and cows, also arrived. As the gopis picked many flowers from the trees and vines, Sri Krishna, who was dressed in the clothes of a gardener, confronted those peaceful girls with this words, Aha! Just see the impudence of these gopis, who dare to steal my flowers in my very presence. Sri Radha, not even taking the slightest notice of Sri Krishna, continued in her work. Captivated by her neglect and beset with the desire to pick a quarrel, Hari clasped Radhika's wrist in his strong hand and said, Hey, Chori, how dare you become so impudent, ignoring my presence as you loot my gardens and deprive Vrindavan of its natural decorations. Freeing herself from his powerful grip, Sri Radhika said, since when has this garden become yours? And of what consequence is Vrindavan's appearance to you? Anyway, smiling at her unyielding attitude, Sri Krishna said, Well, it's not my habit to advertise my inherited rights. You gopis should know that picking flowers in the garden of Vrindavan can only be done with the permission of its owner. Since I don't recall having given you such a license. Have given, I don't remember having, I do not recall giving such a license to you beautiful girls. I suggest that you desist from your thievery until the needful has been done. So this is, this is typical of the gopis exchange with Krishna. It's all lots of comedy and teasing and it enhances their love. That's why they do it. At such a challenge, the many moon-faced gopis, dressed in clothing as colorful as their flowers, surrounded Sri Krishna and his few friends, looking from the corner of her eyes while picking a champak flower. Radha said, 
How is it that you are under the false impression that Vrindavan is in any way your property? The other gopis laughed as Sri Krishna replied, There's no need to be offensive while taking advantage of my charitable disposition and high-mindedness. It's an undisputed fact that the king of Braja is Nandamaraj and as his only son, I remain the exclusive heir. Ho, ho, ho! exclaimed Lalita Devi. Kali Yuga is truly on the way when servants meant to safeguard the property of their master have become, think they have become the true proprietors. It is true that Nanda Maharaj governs Braja as its sovereign, but it is well known that he acts as a custodian on behalf of the true landlord, Sri Radha. Can anyone dispute this fact? Okay, the argument's stepping up. Now Madhumangala is going to step up to the plate. At this, Madhumangala stepped forward and raised the stick in his hand saying, The servants of Kali are certainly present when destitute gopas lay claim, destitute gopis lay claim to this tract of land by the sheer wealth of their audacity. To deny my humble friend, the crown prince of Braja, his administrative rights is nothing short of anarchy. Things are getting riled up here. Turning to Bato, while purposefully twirling the flower in her hand. I guess Bato is the name of Krishna. Sri Radhika replied, Because this forest is maintained by my friend Brinda, it is known as Vrindavan. After my coronation ceremony, at which all of you were present, she handed this forest to me as a gift of love. Since then, I have been known as Vrindavan Ishwari, Vrindavaneshwari. We come here to pick flowers for our worship of the sun god. And you intrude in others' private places, calling them your own. Shame, shame, shame! So, you see, if, if you don't understand what's going on, you'll think, how can the gopis treat Krishna that way? He's the like the Supreme Lord and they're supposed to love him. They're not dealing with him as the Supreme Lord and Krishna loves this. He likes to be chastised. Not that we can chastise him, but when you have love, you can and he likes it. Radharani knows exactly and the gopis know exactly what pleases Krishna. So if they speak some harsh words to him, it's because they know that he likes that. Sri Krishna thanked the sweet words of moon-faced Radhika like a Chakora bird and said, Madhu, there's no value in such freelance arguments. The scriptures state, Satyave Dharashtyam Evahi, in the age of Kali, Audacity will be synonymous with truth. With a conventional approach, we will get nowhere with these emissaries of duplicity. So, no one's giving in to the other side. At the mention of the word scripture, those beautiful gopis exploded into an uproarious laughter which caused lotus-eyed Sri Krishna to smile in his sleep. Lalita said, 
you who are known for your great adherence to scriptural injunctions. Our ears are incredulous at hearing you even pronounce the sacred words of all-knowing Vyasadeva. Hear, hear, said Madhu Mangala. Why are you village girls faulting my friend, religion personified and the goal of the Vedas? Is it that you are unable to substantiate your claim that Sri Radhika is the mistress of this land? At this, Sri Krishna spoke privately to Madhamangala. Oh, learned Brahma, be careful not to enter the quicksand of fallacious arguments with these false-tongued gopis. Oh, now it's getting heavy. Wrapping the thumb of his right hand around his Brahman thread, Mangala said, Friend, when you have an advisor such as I, the very embodiment of the Vedas, the knower of all scriptures, and the mouth of Lord Vishnu, why do you hesitate in scriptural debate with these housewives of gopas, whose wisdom is in cooking and making cow dung patties? Yeah, Mata Mangala, he's, he's heavy. Turning to Lalita, Devi, Madhu said, Saki Lalita, is well known in the Shastra that Vrindavan is glorified throughout the three worlds as Krishnavan, the forest of Sri Krishna. Is there any more conclusive evidence needed to discredit your claim and validate Nanda's son? Subal placed his arm about Sri Krishna with confidence, and the other gopis smiled happily amongst each other, thinking, oh yeah, we won the argument. <clears throat> I don't think you ever win an argument with a woman. I've never seen it. Looking at her, so we're going to see who wins the argument. Stay tuned, everyone. Looking at her sake with a mischievous grin, Lalita replied. With the words Radha Vrindavan Vane, the Puranas state very clearly that the forest of Vrindavan is the property of Sri Radhika. Is this not an explicit statement which removes all doubt and duality? As Sri Radha decorated him with a garland of blue lotuses, uh, excuse me, a garland of blue lotus-like glances, Sri Krishna said, What you say is certainly true, dear Lalita. Now it appears that we have two contradictory statements from Shastra. All scholars know that in such circumstances, the statements of Shruti, Krishnavan, must take precedence over the words smiti radhavan, radhavrindavan vane. For of the two, the authority is shruti. The authority of shruti is always pre preeminent. In this way, the conclusion, excuse me, in this way, the conclusive understanding is established. I am the master of Vrindavan. Clapping his hands, Madhu Mangal jumped about with the words, he he. Saka, you have truly humbled those arrogant gopis. While her sakis feigned impartiality, Lalita smiled sweetly and casting a glance at Radha said, What you say is not incorrect, provided the evidence from Shuti and Smriti are of equal weight. 
In this case, the weakness of your argument is evident. Please note how the word Krishna in the compound Krishnavan has no reference to your good self. It is an adjective of the forest of Vrindavan indicating darkness caused by the proximity of the trees and the deep color of the foliage. Whoa! She got him on that one. However, the statement of the Puranas, Radha Vrindavan Vane, is clear, unambiguous, and non-contentious. Smiling demurely at a stunned Sri Krishna and Bato, I don't know, Bato is. Who is Bato? As uh, Lalita said, as learned Brahmanas, you all know that the Puranas are the appendix to the Vedas. They're meant to clarify any ambiguity in their statements. Taking all things into consideration. If we view the two queries in relation to each other, the final conclusion must be this. The Puranic statement clarifies that the dark forest of Vrindavan, which is the residence of many secret places, is the property of Sri Radha. All the gopis applauded. All the gopis applauded the words of Lalita, who simply beamed with the innocence of true realization. Taking the hand of her Radha, she placed it to her forehead as a sign of submission. Madhu Mangal whispered to Krishna, Dear friend, now it is you who have become stuck in the mire of these gopis' clever words. I will attend to my midday duties and she'll be back later. So I guess he gave up. <laughs> he couldn't argue with them. Told you, don't argue with the woman. Restraining his friends, Sri Krishna continued to expound on the grammatical meaning of the phrase Krishnavan. Like a black deer fallen into quicksand, he became trapped as a consequence of his own statements. Repeatedly whipped by the irrefutable wisdom of Lalita Devi, taunted by the laughter of the gopis, mocked by the glance of Sri Radha. Hari's embarrassment became intolerable. Unable to find any means of escape, Sri Krishna took the only accessible salvation and awoke from his dream. So, I guess that was a dream. It's all absolute, dream or no dream. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's what you do when you go back to Godhead. You just have fun and you make jokes and you play with Krishna. Sounds good to me. Okay, we will see if you have any statements. I'm sure you're all stunned and are just listening like, oh my Govinda, this is amazing. So, Bhaktivinoda says, I heard once that Prabhupada said that a musician was a flute in the spiritual world. Is it true that the closer one gets to the spiritual world, one becomes more like the person you are there? Uh, I never heard that, but the flute is a person. Um, 
your material nature um, does not have anything to do with your spiritual nature, but it, it is true that the more you become purified, the more that spiritual nature comes out. So you may have physical, physio, psycho, psychophysio nature, but that has nothing to do with rasa, not necessarily. It could by coincidence, but... Um, Yeah, it doesn't have to do with your rasa. That's revealed as you become purified. I mean, you want to be Krishna's flute, I think the job is already taken. <laughs> Might be too late. <laughs> I mean, if the go the gopis wanted to become Krishna's flute because he's always... Bato is Mbadamangal. Thanks, Javi. Bato, Bato. I was trying to figure that out. Madamango, what a character. Okay. We're going to continue reading. So this is another Leela. As I said, um, I couldn't resist these Leela, reading these Leelas to you. Earlier, the gopis had questioned the piety that in an... Oh, so this is about the flute. Like, like what's up with the... Well, Bhakti, you know, that was a good question you asked. Because this is... this Like, the gopis are like, like, hey, you know, like, this flute is always being kissed by Krishna's lips. So, you know, like, what's up with that? Who is this flute? Why not us? Earlier, the gopis had questioned the piety that had enabled the flute to achieve the fortune of unrestricted access to Sri Krishna's lips. By direct glorification, innuendo, criticism, and various examples and descriptions, they answered their own questions. Still, they remained unsatisfied with their own predicament. Beggars for the nectar of Sri Krishna's lips. We want that nectar, and the flute's getting it. Like, what's going on here? Summarizing their discourse on the flute, trees and rivers, one gopi says, and they were, you know, they were discussing, well, look at the, you know, the flute is a tree, and the, tree, the, the rivers grow the tree, they get the water to the tree, and then the bamboo, and the, so the rivers and the tree, it is like they're all fortunate. Summarizing their discourse on the flute, trees, and rivers, one, gop one gopi says with exaggerated emphasis, when great people hear the glories of the Lord, they experience ecstatic symptoms like tears and horripilation. Although these symptoms are readily seen in the rivers and trees, for lack of evidence and precedent, the status of their complicity remains an unresolved affair. Like, why are they so ecstatic? Like, we don't know why. With her forefinger raised, moving her right hand and her charming head from side to side, she continues, Dear friends, let it be known that the rivers are the female friends of the flute. And the trees are its male friends. However, she says with great emphasis, if the flute is our enemy, oh yeah, so what's happening is we had discussed before how 
the flute completely drives the gopis mad. It actually drives everyone mad, but especially drives the gopis mad. So they're saying, like this flute is creating so many problems in our life, it's causing us to leave our husbands and go off with this boy, and then this boy goes off and leaves us, and uh, we can't stop talking about him, we've become mad, etc., etc. So they had this discussion that they're saying, you know, like this flute playing has just pretty much destroyed us. So, like, this flute has become our enemy. Like, let's get rid of it. If we could just get rid of the flute, it would solve the problem. We wouldn't be going crazy anymore. So that's the context of this discussion. So she she says, if the flute is our enemy, by the simple laws of logic, the friends of the enemy are also our enemies. Thus, picking their cue, the gopis speak simultaneously. The flute, rivers and trees, all together are our enemies. Hearing this conclusive judgment, overwhelmed by the sunshiny bob of envy, the gopis spoke one after the other with great urgency. The flute should be stolen and disposed of immediately. Get it away from Krishna's lips. Burn it, bury it, or drown it in the river. <laughs> Somehow, in any way, but without delay, get that flute away from him and send it packing. Send it packing. Just get it out of here. Get that flute out of here, okay? You got it? Get it. So, um, this reminds me of the pastime we read a few weeks ago when Krishna, or maybe last week, Krishna left the Ras Lila and the gopis were feeling such intense separation. The only way they could pacify themselves was by remembering Krishna. So they thought, well, let's enact his leelas. My daughter used to do that when she was a kid. She said, and one day she said to me, he said, you know, you adults, you should do the same thing. It's really a good way to remember Krishna. You should just, you know, play with one another in leela. Do the leelas. I thought, I've never done that, but that sounds like a really good idea. I don't know. Maybe we can try it sometime. So, um, what's happening here is, yeah, so, like they're talking about the flute, they're talking about Krishna, and they're talking about how can we, like, just forget him. That's kind of what they're saying. So sometimes they go through that. I just want to forget him because he's creating so much problem. And in trying to forget him, all they do is talk about him. So it's kind of like, you know, don't think of a broom, and now you all just thought of a broom. Don't think of a broom, okay? Do not think of a broom. I will not allow you to think of a broom. What are you thinking about now? That you shouldn't think of a broom, right? So it's something like that. They, you know, they get this transcendental envy and it just makes them more absorbed in Krishna. Otherwise, if it didn't make them more absorbed in Krishna, they wouldn't go, Yoga Maya wouldn't arrange this Leela and all these emotions and feelings. It wouldn't make any sense. As the patience of those gopis reached its boiling point, it caused the pot of the bhava to erupt and a great din of ecstatic emotions ensued. The birds circled overhead, attracted by the commotion, and then, settling in the trees, they contributed to the verdict with their chatter. Sleeping nearby in the morning sun, Village dogs rose to their feet and barked the news of the gopis' judgment. 
I mean, the judgment of, you know, get this flute out of the place. You know, the birds heard it, the dogs heard it, everybody heard it. The peacock reasoning that such a hubbub could only portend rain began to cry and dance, looking toward the sky. So it was like, wow, the gopis really are rousing some action in the animal kingdom. All in all, the combined sound became tumultuous. And were it not for the protection of Yoga Maya, many mothers-in-law would have quickly collected their daughters and escorted them home on a suitable scolding. So it's like, I put this in here because this big hubbub is being created and then, you know, the gopis aren't supposed to be with Krishna and and if they find out, then it's, you know, the end for the gopis. So Yoga Maya, she like quiets everything down. Said otherwise all the mothers would have come out and seen their daughters with Krishna. In, a, in an attempt to quiet that assembly, a sober gopi spoke above all the others, attracting their attention. Shanti, 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 O Braja Sundarimani, jewels among the ladies of Vrindavan. Please listen to my words. I have just one question to ask you, which will conclusively address this issue. The gopis, birds, dogs, and peacocks turn their heads in the direction of the speaker. She asked the question, who is responsible for this calamity of the flute? Dear friends, let us ask this question. Who has put the flute in the hands of Krishna Chandra? Lotus-eyed Sri Hari, being the son of a coward, was not born with it as Lord Vishnu appears with his eternal symbols. Therefore, the question remains, where did the flute come from? like a lightning bolt from the sky. The gopis were struck by the rational significance of the question. Where did the flute come from? The gopis looked at each other, perplexed. The dogs and birds turned their heads, mystified, and the peacocks buried their beaks in, the, in their tails, bewildered, looking at each other, at the animals, at the birds, then turning one way and then another. The best of Braja's cowherd girls echoed, who is it? 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 That's an echo. Not yet turned 15, but the oldest by one month, one gopi said, the mystery of the flute has been told to me by noble Purnamasi. Therefore, whatever I say cannot be false. My dear friends, please listen how Sri Krishna acquired his bosom chum, the flute. So we've been discussing the Venu Gita, so how can you discuss it without knowing the origin of the flute? Prior to the birth of Sri Krishna, the creator, Lord Brahma, inspired with a desire to serve his eternal master, appeared in Vrindavan riding on his great swan. To serve Sri Radha, he expanded himself in the form of four-peaked Barshana Mountain. And for the service of Sri Krishna, he presented Nanda Maharaj with the flute, saying, Give this divine flute to your son, for he will enact many pastimes with its assistance. So Brahma is the culprit. It's all his fault. You can blame him. 
Nanda Baba was delighted that a son would finally be born to him. When Nandulal took birth from the womb of Mother Jashoda, he remembered Lord Brahma's words and placed the flute in Sri Krishna's hands. Ever since then, the flute has been inseparable, his inseparable companion and the source of our great misery. Ah, so Brahma's fault. The gopis already had reason to be cross with the creator for certain anatomical defects. In other words, we blink. They didn't like that. Couldn't see Krishna for a second. Like ghee thrown on a fire, they flared up crying. Oh, what misfortune! What bad luck! Our universe is such an inept creator. First he creates eyelids to obstruct the vision of our beloved and then he conspires to deny us the nectar of his lips. Let that Brahma be cursed once. Let him be cursed twice. He has brought repeated misfortune upon the race of gopis. I always had this dream, you know. If I had a lot of money, I would buy some land, we would create Vrindavan, and then we would just do movies of these videos. Not necessarily that they would sell, but just to have them so we could be absorbed in thinking of Krishna, seeing these scenes, you know, professionally done. What a meditation. Then, overwhelmed with the mood of separation from Sri Krishna, hankering for the nectar of his lips, the gopis cast all hope to the wind, and falling into the abyss of despair, they cried, Oh, fie on us! Fie on us! How unfortunate we are! That's the end of that, Leela. Don't go away, friends. There's more. Although this could be the last class on Yoga Maya because we may finish, depending on the number of questions. This is very high stuff. This is not like... This is not like stuff I learned the first day I became a devotee. But... As I said before, it, it's so powerful to hear what's actually going on in the spiritual world because it kind of reorients you to reality. This down here is not the real deal. You remember that story we said when Uddhava went back to Godhead? He went from the Dwarka on this planet to the Dwarka on the other planet, Goloka Dwarka, and he just was there and I was like, yeah, Uddhava, what's what's going on? You know, it's like he never left. Or he kind of like, where was I a minute ago? Oh, whatever. And then just went on. And um, I was thinking yesterday about the beauty of the spiritual world. Because if you investigate the material world, like if you really, you know, if you're an investigative journalist, you can pull up dirt under every rock, under anywhere you look, there's so much dirt, isn't it? Have you ever, have you ever um, read something about some dirt on somebody, and you know this friend and the uncle and the sister and the former boss, and you know they're pulling up dirt. It's not like big stuff, but you know he lied once and he had a girlfriend while he was married, and you know. And when you hear that, generally everybody thinks, well, I hope they don't do that to me because you know everybody's got things they hide. So there's just dirt everywhere in the material world. 
because that's the nature of it. And although there are good things, they tend to get bad after a while, or the bad tends to outweigh the good. So I was thinking the spiritual world, because it's devoid of the three modes of nature, everything is just the opposite. It can't be bad. It can only be good. Just like in this world, good is kind of rare. In that world, there is no bad. It's not even rare. It's transcendental. So everything is blissful. So how could it not be blissful? How could there be anything bad? Just as in this world, it's not blissful. So how could there any be, any, ever be anything consistently good? And You know, every time we solve a problem, you read in the news, like this problem, that problem, like this program solved this problem, that problem. Oh, I have to tell you what I saw this morning. This is amazing. This is amazing just to show you how bad this world is and and such things. How, however bad this world is, that's how good that world is. It's It's just the opposite. It's just... So, I came across this. I don't know how. I was doing this you know, study on liberalism and conservatism and so forth and polarity and, you know, so you you look at, you know, polarities between the races. In 1908, there was a huge riot, a huge disruption regarding white supremacy in America. And you know why? There were riots everywhere. You know why? Because for the first time in the history of boxing, a black man defeated a white man. And in fact, the white man would never fight a black man because the white man didn't want a black man to be world champion. Finally, one fighter agreed who had never lost a fight. And I think in the 15th round, he lost the fight. He got knocked out. And so the black people went in the streets celebrating like you would celebrate a football game or something, like no big deal, our team won. Uh, the white men, they took this as a, as a real insult to their white supremacy, and they fought back. And there was huge social unrest because a black man became the world, the heavyweight world champion boxer. There were there were riots against black people. There was uh, so many problems against black people because they didn't want, excuse me, yeah, against black because they didn't want because that minimized the position of the whites. Can you imagine? It's hard to imagine, but that's true. And so my point is that you know that's the nature of this world. It just it's just like it's so bad. And you, once you think a problem is solved, it shows up somewhere else. Then there's you know child pornography. Uh, child sex, sex trade. And, you know, it's just like the more you learn, the more you see how bad it is. In the spiritual world, the more you learn, the more you hear these pastimes, the more you're amazed. This is amazing. This is this is so... I can't even... I couldn't even imagine such leelas. So that's why we're reading it, to just, like, give that perspective that that, as this world just goes on degrading in Kali Yuga, that world goes on becoming more ecstatic. Okay, so now we have uh, another Leela with Krishna's lips. I'm just going to see if there's any questions. Hmm. Christy says, I do find it heavy as well, but it stimulates my brain to try and comprehend it. Plus, it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, the thing you realize by reading Krishna's pastimes, you realize that they're basically 
all they're doing is having fun. And then you contrast it in this world, you know, basically what we're usually doing is work. Even if it's even if it's not work, it's work because you have to go shopping and then you have to cook, then you, you eat and you have to go to the toilet and you have to come back, and clean the pots, and then you get hungry six hours later, you got to do it again. So even doing the things that you like to do, it's work and you have to make the money to do it. And even if you're doing something you'd like, it's not always easy. Things go wrong, right? Something doesn't work. It doesn't work out that day. You have to work extra hours to finish it. You're tired. So basically, <laughs> Prabhupada said something. This is so funny. In light of, of just the social values of today's society, Prabhupada said, your work is your punishment. So we're all about find your dharma, find your work, do what, you know, you know, uh, what do they say? Your bliss. Follow your bliss and so forth. So definitely that's Varnashram, definitely. But Prabhupada makes a point, but even still, all that work you're doing, even if it's your dharma and you like doing it, still it's work. And that's that's the nature of this world. It's work. Of course, if you do a job you love, it's not work. But still, Prabhupada's point is, in contrast to the spiritual world, you never see anybody working. Even Krishna's taking care of the cows, but they're just having fun. Everybody's having fun. Everything is just fun. So what's the opposite of work? Pretty much it's fun. What do you want to do? Let's have some fun. You know, Isn't it? That's what kids like to do. So pretty much the punishment of this world is the work. And there, in the lecture, Prabhupada said, and you go back to Godhead, probably the same lecture, there's no work. You don't, you know, it's like, wow. Okay. If you don't like work, then definitely you should consider going back to Godhead because you don't have to work. So, you know, what if, what if you were told when you get to heaven, you have a nine to five, you know, doing accounting or some tedious work like that and you do that for eternity that wouldn't be heaven would it but if you're told okay you just have fun it's, you know and fun gets better every day and you never get tired hungry thirsty angry upset whatever so that's the idea so so by by hearing these leelas in that context you you'll see that's actually that's all that's going on is fun and when it doesn't look like fun then there's separation it looks like pain all that's going on is churning of love. It's just churning the love. And that's what's required to churn it. So there's only love and everybody's looking for love and that's all everybody, everybody wants. And that's all that's going on there. So how could you not want to be there? Of course, that's where we all want to be because that's where the love is churned. And here, you know, love, you know, that's like rare. It's rare to find. Rare to keep, rare to maintain. Okay, we have another one. This is about the flute. I'm just going to check. Um, okay, we can continue. The general practice of the flute is to respond to the soft touch of Sri Krishna's lips and the lithesome movement of his petal-like fingers. Now, without his camphor-like breath or any manual effort, the flute sang of its own volition. Sometimes that question is asked. Does, does the flute play itself? Well, here's the answer. And it's a person, so why not? Its wind was the call of the peacocks. 
and its preferred melody, a response to their great Baba. While Sri Krishna held the flute in his left hand, his eyebrows arched in wonder. In other words, the flute's playing like, whoa! And he danced even more dexterously in awe of the self-manifesting song of his Venu. So it's like, you know, better than reggae, you know, the flute. You know, you know reggae makes you want to dance? It's just like the dance chakras get activated. Well, this is, you know, a little better than reggae. You hear Krishna's flute and it's like, wow, you become this master, masterful dancer just by hearing it. Charmed by the dancing and music, a great audience assembled to witness this inconceivable performance. The boys and cows stood, stood transfixed in the meadow, surrounding the assemblage of peacocks that had Sri Krishna as its center. So Krishna's, the flute's playing and Krishna's dancing. It's like this major performance, major forest concert. The various animals and birds along with the slopes of Govardhan Hill stopped their eating, drinking, and play and without further movement fixed their eyes on the scene below. So you know the cartoons where all the animals are like, they're kind of human-like. They talk and like, well, now you know where that came from. Those animals who regularly sit on the mountain peaks anxious to receive Sri Krishna's darshan, the blessing of his smile or the shower of his glance were overjoyed to fulfill their desires. To be closer to Govinda, they inched forward on their seats, almost on the verge of falling into the picture below. So they were they were coming down a mountain and they got so close they could have just slid off and this is what happened. By the arrangement of yoga maya, they continued to remain secure although the laws of nature underwent some adjustment to achieve that end. Isn't that funny and interesting? You remember how we were saying that you see in the leelas of Krishna that yoga maya can do anything that's necessary. Whatever it is, there's no limitation. As long as it's necessary for the leela, she can do it. And so I put this in as an example. They should have fell off the mountain. But that wouldn't have worked for the Leela. That wouldn't have worked for them. That wouldn't have worked for anybody. So she's adjusting. We said she can do anything for the Leela. Well, now she's adjusting the laws of gravity so they won't fall off. That is pretty amazing, isn't it? Don't you think? I do. So that I put that in there just as a confirmation that uh, Yoga Maya can do anything. So we have a question here. Krishna Karshani, why we don't want to be there, I mean, in the spiritual world? We know we will achieve real happiness. You know the answer, Krishna Karshani. Low IQ, that's the answer. But still, we are making plans to get happiness in the material world. Yeah, that's the answer to Krishna Karshani's question. Low IQ. You know, originally intelligence was was only had one there was only one form of intelligence it's called the IQ the intelligence quotient but then they realized well their emotions have a kind of intelligence then they realized well there's musical intelligence there's i don't know what they call it but the the intelligence of the body like good athletes people are coordinated dancers they have high kinest, i think they call it kinesthetic intelligence <clears throat> 
And then, then they also came up. I don't know who comes up with these. They came up with spiritual intelligence, and they, you know, they they have definitions, so you can not only define but calculate if you have high or low levels of spiritual intelligence, kinesthetic intelligence, artistic intelligence, musical intelligence, 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 and so forth. So the answer to your question is a low spiritual IQ. That's the only answer. We were we were giving class yesterday to the Russians, and a similar question came up, like how to get motivated. And I said, if you had a key to the spiritual world, like like this is like any time you want to go, you just you just tell the key, I'm ready to go, and it gets you in the gate, right? Would you take care of that key? Of course. And if you didn't, and if I went to your house, I say, Krishna Koshin, you know that key? When are you going to use it? And you're like, um, you know, I'm not even sure where I put it. And I'd be like, oh no, you didn't say that. This is like insane. So to say I'm not interested in spiritual life or going back to God, it is a little bit like, you know, I'm not really sure what I did with that key. You know, why aren't you sure? Well, I didn't think I really need it. So I think it's a beautiful analogy that all of Prabhupada's instructions and everything he's giving us is in that key. What are you doing with that key? Um, it's like, I think it's in that drawer over there. I, I don't really need it. I, I don't use it. You want it? You can have it. You know, like That's low spiritual IQ. That's all I can say. No offense intended. And I know you didn't take offense. You allow me to make fun of you, but... Um, this is not just for you, it's for everyone. This is this is my conclusion. Um, Bhakti Siddhanta said, um, a weak heart, spiritual weakness, like Krishna says, how does this weakness come upon you? Dorbalam, Ridaya Dorbalam. So he, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta said, a weak heart and low intelligence, it's the same thing. Because you give in. Low intelligence, you give in. And with a weak heart, you give in also to Maya. So, um, now, there are other reasons because we're envious of Krishna. So, like, why? Why would I want to serve him? You know, I'm not that interested. You know. All right, these pastimes are okay, but you know, I'd rather do something great and get an article written about me and read that, and send that to all my friends. You know, and get like fifty thousand likes. That's more fun than reading Krishna Leela. That's all envy. That's all. That's all the problem, you know. The problem is we're envious, and you know, so what to do, you know. Now, I think it would help if, you know, if you say, if we say we're envious of Krishna, then the first thought is, but, you know, I'm just like chanting Hare Krishna and like worship my deity and, you know, do some seva. How am I envious of Krishna? I have to dissect it a little bit a little bit differently, you know, and start seeing how it shows up. Yeah, I'm not really interested in doing this, and I really want to get the honor for doing that, and I really like to be in the center, and, uh, you know, I'm envious of this devotee, and I don't really want to give them credit because I really did more, and, you know, just go down the list. That's all manifestation of envy of Krishna, and that's all the answer to this question of why we're not attracted, because you can't, you can't do both at the same time. You have to do. You have to decide. You know. You want to actually serve other devotees and be be happy 
and be happy that Krishna has all the money and the girls and like you don't. Or you want, you know, cut a deal with Krishna. You know, give me some of the money and girls and then I'll, you know, serve you. As if Krishna needs your service. Like like Krishna's going, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I'll give you some because I need your service. No. So that's the problem. Of course, you could ask the question, why? And I, am I like this? And the answer is obvious. That's been cultivated. That's why we're here. But I think... The best question is, why am I still like this after knowing everything? And that's where the key example comes in. It's like, here's the key. All you have to do is you just have to put it in the door. Prabhupada's giving you the key. You don't have to create the key. So he's given us the key. To not use the key is the huge travesty. It's it's a sign of like, something's mixed up up there that needs to be clarified. Right? So that's my answer. I'm sure... Other devotees could answer it in other ways. It's not just a few answers. Okay, so here's a conversation. I don't know who this sannyasi is and who his guru is, but there's a conversation which is relevant and ecstatic. And we'll see how far we get with this conversation. We have we have seven minutes. Hmm. I lost the conversation. Oh no. Now we have six minutes. Another sannyasi disciple folded his hands and said, Dear Gurudev, when the sadhaka leaves his body at the threshold of prema, why must he take birth in the womb of a gopi in the material world? Can he not simply appear in a gopika body in the spiritual world and develop sneha, mana, etc. through the association of eternally perfected gopis? So he's saying, if he's just coming to the level of prema while he's in this world, why does he have to take birth again on this planet in Vrindavan where Krishna's appearing? And why can't he just go straight and develop love in the spiritual world instead of developing in here, down here? Gurudev replied, the answer to your question is twofold. As far as cultivation of prema in the spiritual world, you should know there is no scope in Goloka to acquire perfection. It is the realm of the perfect and there is no access for those who are incomplete in any way. Wow, so we can't go if we don't have prema. Prema is the goal. And so uh, in Vrindavan on this planet, that's where we become purified. So we become qualified to go. So there's no, you know, there's no perfection in the sense that we understand it. Although you could say you're becoming eternally more Krishna conscious, quote unquote, perfect, but it's not perfect, and and you already have love, and you can just expand your love, but it's not perfecting it in the sense of what we would understand. You're not. It's not going to. It's not. You're not going to go from bhava to prema in the spiritual world. That has to be done here. In Vrindavan, family ties and acquaintances are, are harmonious and of a human-like nature. 
If you want to appear in Goloka without first entering the families of the Rajabasis, then your relationships with parents, husband, and in-laws for your Siddha will lack continuity. That's really interesting, isn't it? Like, you connect with your family here, and that becomes your family there. That sounds like what it's being said. How will you address questions like, whose daughter is this Saki? Whose wife is she? Whose daughter-in-law is she? No, that will not do. You must be patient and accept the path that has been awarded to us by the Lord. And so now Krishna Karshani is looking at this and saying, well, if you were in the spiritual world, you would have already had the family. So it's saying here you have to go to Boma Vrindavan to get the family, which means you didn't have the family. And so you get the family, that be, that is now you're trained, that becomes your eternal family, and then you go back to God, which definitely proves we were never in the spiritual world. That's what she's going to say. But I said it for her, so she doesn't have to. No comment. Okay, the last question was put by a Grihasta disciple who had dedicated everything to the service of his guru and was inclined to the bhava of a gopi. Gurudev, having come to the platform of loving service and then having quit this body, how long will it take to receive that spiritual body which is fit for achieving perfection? Dear boy, have no fear, smiled Gurudev lovingly. You remember how Sri Nardaji was awarded his spiritual body without delay? In that way, without a moment's notice, the Lord will arrange for your divine form. Offering his blessings to his dear disciples, Gurudev said, O greatly eager Anuragi devotees, don't be afraid, be at ease. All is auspicious for you. Now, I think when we read the that only the Premi Bhaktis go back to Godhead and you 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 have to develop that on this planet. In Leela. And some of you may be thinking, well, that sounds like a long haul and it sounds like I'll need many births and I can't even imagine having, you know, no impurity within me. Anyway, the process is the process. Prabhupada has promised us the process works. And so our faith is not in our material thinking about it. Our faith is in the process. So, plus, what else are you going to do anyway? You've got something better to do than trying to develop prema, even if you fail. Still nothing better to do. What are you going to do? Go to a football game? Think that's better? Well, I couldn't make it in Krishna consciousness, so I'll just you know, watch television. No, whatever you can do, do it, and it'll pay off. <clears throat> Executing devotional service under the direction of their spiritual master, those devotees rose through the consecutive stages of bhakti, from a nartandavritti to the platform of bhava. So they did it. You can do it also. At that time, free of all impurities, they ascended to the transcendental platform and came to understand their constitutional position in relationship to the Lord. For some, their surup was that of a maidservant of Sri Krishna. For others, that of a coward boy. While others knew themselves as associates of his parents. So it all manifests in course of time. Those great devotees practiced bhava bhakti to attain prema. So bhava is still a stage of practice because prema is the goal. So until you reach the goal, you have to practice. Uh, 
Those great devotees practice bhava-bhakti to attain prema, and day by day their greed for the association of the Lord increased until separation from him became intolerable. As foretold by Gurudev, their aspiration for prema could not be fulfilled as their bodies were unsuited to accommodate the spiritual force of their stai bhav. Always concerned for the welfare of his devotees, Sri Krishna directed Yogamaya to transfer them from that world and cause their appearance on this planet while he exhibited his pastimes in Radhab. In other words, <clears throat> the emotion of prema cannot be contained in the material body. So when you go to Boma Vrindavan, you're on the stage of bhava, which is preliminary love. And so you learn to develop love and you come to the stage of prema, that form can't hold it. And then at that point you just go, there you are, you're in the spiritual world. Hi everybody, nice to see you. Been missing you, but I can't remember where I came from. So it's kind of like, always been here sort of thing. You know how we say when you become perfected, you become nitya siddha, always perfect? Which doesn't make sense if at a time you weren't perfect, how were you always perfect? Because now that you're perfect, you're perfect. And when you go back to God, it's like things were just always like that. Nothing, just another day in paradise. Mm. This is an interesting discussion, isn't it? Um, I'm going to finish reading it because I find it so interesting. Taking birth in the womb of a gopika, those devotees attain spiritual bodies in which they gain the company of Nitya Siddha associates and saw some of Sri Krishna's pastimes. Because practicing devotees, karmis, and perfected devotees all enter this materially manifested Vrindavan, it is experienced simultaneously as Sadaka Bhumi and Siddha Bhumi. He's talking here about taking birth in the wombs of gopis on this planet. It's experienced as Sadaka Bhumi and Siddha Bhumi, the land for practitioners and the perfect alike. These two classes of gopis are now assembled in different parts of Braja, blissfully discussing the glories of Sri Krishna and his flute. So that ends that section. And we have maybe one more day worth of class at the most on this topic. Um, I've exhausted the Veda base on this topic. Maybe there's some more information. And this is Shivaram Swami's book we're reading from. It's just not, it's on the database. So, we will continue that on Monday, and then when we finish, I have not yet decided what we're going to do. Maybe we'll talk about something, I don't know, maybe you can suggest. Now that we're talking about the Leela, maybe that's all we want to talk about. Okay, so we're going to end here. Sorry for the technical errors in the beginning. It's just, stars are in the wrong place today. Hare Krishna. Srila Prabhupada Kijay, Gopal Premanandi, thank you for attending.